0: Thanks, music team, and thank you, Bible reader, as well. Well, it's a privilege to be able to be up here again to present God's Word again this morning. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your love towards us. We thank you that you came to seek us in the person of your Son, that though we were lost and apart from you, you came to invite us to eternal life. We pray this morning in the proclamation of your word that we would make much of Christ, that we would see him as the primary focus of, of our story that he would be the treasure that we would fix our eyes upon as we learn from the story of Jesus this morning. We pray that you would teach us, that you would equip us to be people who are more missions-minded, people who love to share the gift of grace that we have been given, but also to point people towards the giver. And so we pray as we hear your word this morning, that we would be hearers of your word, but that we would also be more informed doers, that we would leave this place and and share this gift that you have lavished upon us. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, what a great story we've been given to look at this morning in John 4. It's a great story. It's a It's a simple story. It's a story that if you grew up in the church, you would have heard many times before, and as much as it is a story about profound truth, it's a story that is set out simply enough that a child can understand it, which is wonderful for us. And and so as we've saw, it's, it's the story of Jesus evangelizing a woman who is then... Um, sent out, she, her natural reaction to hearing the good news of Jesus is that she races into her town to go and tell as many other people as she can about this gift that she's just heard of. So let's dive in. We start off in verse 3, where it says that he, that is Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria. And this is kind of the first thing that strikes us as interesting. He had to. Well, he didn't have to. You can you can see a little bit from the map there. Judea is um, right down the bottom. And Jerusalem, Galilee, where he's going, is all the way up the top. Samaria is smack bang in the middle. And so what happened a lot is that Jews, particularly stricter Jews would avoid going through Samaria. So they would either... Jesus could have gone up the coastal route, he could have had a surf on his way up to Galilee, or he could have gone to the west and he could have crossed over the Jordan, gone up through the country that was there and crossed back over the Jordan to go to Galilee. But the verse doesn't say that. It says that he had to. So there's definitely no necessity for Jesus to pass through Samaria, although it was the most direct route geographically. But it's important for us to remember, as we see again later in the passage, that that Jews actually avoided Samaria at all costs. Samaritans were a people who, um, back when the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom in 7 BC, um, they actually took most of the Israelites away into captivity. And the Israelites that remained... um, Intermarried with all sorts of other pagan nations, all sorts of people who were idolaters and who worshipped other gods, and this was the greatest offense if you were a jew this was just this was what for them um, when the Israelites returned from captivity, made the Samaritans this um, outcast people who uh, even the very ground that they were on was considered to be cursed ground, and Jews just didn't go that way. So why did Jesus have to pass through this region? I think that the answer from what we read about Jesus in the Gospels, from the picture that we know of him, is that he had to go because he had a divine appointment. Because Jesus was missions-minded. Jesus lived his life knowing the Father and knowing that the Father's whole plan of redemption was to seek and save the lost. It was his whole reason for coming. And so Jesus lived his life knowing that his Father's will was the will that he was living out in his time on earth. And so his gaze was fixed upon this woman of Samaria. So he came to a town called Sychar, Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And it says that Jesus sat wearied by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So there's two really interesting things about this verse. The first one that we really have to remember is that Jesus was weary. It's important for us because when we portray Christ to people, we remember that Jesus is human. He got hungry, he got sad. And at this point, when he got to the well, he was exhausted. And his humanness is something which is really important for us as it helps us to accurately convey who Jesus is to people. Now, later on in the story, we see his divinity. We see when he talks to the woman that his omniscience comes out in the things that he knows about her. But let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. And so a woman from Samaria comes to draw water. This is where John introduces a new character to the story a local woman comes to draw water. Now, it was common practice for the women of the town to come and draw water, the water that they needed for their household for that day, except that often the women would come to the well at dusk. They would avoid the hottest part of the day, and they would come and gather and talk and take water away with them. But this woman came at the sixth hour, and the Jews take their time from Sunrise, And so the sixth hour is about noon. It's actually the hottest part of the day. So why is this woman coming at noon? Well, we learn later on in the story that she was an immoral woman. And so we'll come back to that again soon. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And this is something that's amazing because not only does Jesus speak to her, which in itself was a shocking cultural taboo that he's even there. But, but even more so, Jews don't speak to women in public. Rabbis don't even speak to their own wives in public. And so for Jesus to speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, was just unheard of. And just it was a giant breach of social protocol. And the shock is just obvious on this woman's face. She looks at him... And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And we can see that Jesus simply didn't care about cultural, non-biblical customs. He shattered that completely. It wasn't an obstacle for him. It's something that's valuable for us to remember as as we become people who are more missions-minded, that these things are not barriers for us. She would have recognized immediately that, that he was a Jew. And we've already seen the reasons why they don't deal with each other and the attitude that Jesus had towards that whole idea. But let's rewind for a little bit because in verse eight we have this really interesting little statement by John that says that Jesus was alone. It says that his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So where are the disciples? They've gone off to buy food. But this is Samaria. So, clearly the disciples don't care about the cultural ideologies either because not only are they going off to talk to Samaritans in public, but they're going off to buy food that's been handled and prepared by Samaritans. Imagine the stir in the marketplace that that would have caused even while they're doing that before the story even continues. This is starting to ripple through the town, and so the woman asks, "How is it that you would buy me would, would ask me for a drink?" and so here we find another lesson in the way that Jesus conducted his mission, and that is that Jesus found with the person that he was evangelizing common ground Jesus Never responds to questions quite the way that we expect him to in the Gospels. And this encounter is no different. Jesus doesn't actually answer her question at all, but instead, bypassing her question and ignoring all of the cultural stuff, he turns and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, or who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. This is Jesus' way of saying, I am the one who has everything you could ever need. But wait. Because just a moment ago, Jesus was the one who was thirsty and the woman had the water. But now Jesus has flipped the whole conversation and suddenly she is the one in need of water and he is the water provider. So the woman's reply was understandably confused. She, she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. She didn't understand what for us is another lesson in Jesus' evangelism strategy. Jesus used the idea of physical water as an entry point into a conversation about spiritual things. And the Old Testament uses the metaphor of living water all throughout to talk about God as the source of eternal life and salvation. In Jeremiah 2, we see, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah seventeen, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame; those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. And over in Psalm, for you, speaking of God, for you, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And then, probably most magnificently, John records this statement from Jesus where it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anyone thirsts, it's a free gift. And so the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Water is life, and that's exactly what Jesus was offering this woman on a much grander scale. And so here's another lesson that comes from Jesus' encounter with this woman. The water that Jesus offers is without regard of our circumstances. The water that Jesus offers this woman isn't hindered by her immorality. It isn't blocked by her religious indifference and it isn't voided by her ethnicity. He simply offers her this living water freely. And this is where Christianity stands over against every other religion. Other religions would say, do this morally and do this ritually and try to work harder at this in order to please God. But Christianity says that it doesn't matter because it's offered to you freely. The price has been paid, the life has been lived, the death has been died, and now it's available to you. Those who miss out on going to heaven don't miss out because they failed to work hard enough or love enough. They've simply failed to ask For the free gift. Jonathan Edwards famously said, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all that we can do as sinners, recognize our sinful condition and ask. And so the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I have to come here to draw water. And we're not quite sure at that point whether there's a little bit of sarcasm tied into that statement or whether she's quite cottoned onto it yet. But I want to take a side journey just into this verse a little bit because perhaps if you or I were standing there, it wouldn't be so hard to believe that we might react the same way that this woman did back when she said the water is deep and you have nothing to draw with. She looks at Jesus, considering the act of drawing water, and she reminds him, you don't even have a bucket, Jesus. Like, as far as this woman is concerned, Jesus is failing the act of water giving. He just doesn't have the basic requirements to do it. And how often in our own lives do we find our own situations and Jesus is standing right there saying I have everything that you need and we look back in our pain in our uncertainty in our own ideas of what it would take to fix our situation and we respond you don't even have a bucket Jesus The gospel speaks over me. Chris, I can heal you from that bitter unforgiveness. But you don't have a bucket, Jesus. Now, maybe if you come to me with a psychology degree, maybe a 10-part DVD series that I can work through, you know, or even just something that might give me some proof that perhaps you understand my circumstance and you can help get me through it. Maybe you should just stick to you know, telling stories and dying for people. You know, stick to what you're good at, Jesus. But maybe that bucket isn't what I need at all. Maybe I'm standing there at the well, so focused on what I think I need, that I am blind to what Jesus is actually offering me. Maybe he knows something that I don't. You see, this woman's issue wasn't that she was blind to her sin. She knew she was sinful, believe me. She was painfully aware every day of her immoral lifestyle, having had five husbands, living unmarried with her boyfriend. We can say with some confidence that that's the whole reason why she came to the well at the time that she did, because she didn't want to venture out to the judgmental glances the whispers as she approaches the comments behind her back as she leaves she knows all about her sin but there's a sense in which her sin isn't actually her biggest problem I'm inclined to think that her biggest problem is that she doesn't know Jesus she doesn't know the one who has come to die for her sins the one who freely offers her water Living water. Life. And so the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw. She seems willing to accept the gift. She responds, I want, I want that water, Jesus. But here we learn another lesson two vital truths in regard to effective evangelism in our missions month. The woman needed to understand two things before she could receive the living water. You see, if you get a sinner to pray a prayer of salvation at this point, I would be concerned that you might have a false conversion. If we present God for the good gifts that he can offer, for the good things that he can do for us. Everyone signs up. Sounds great. I'll have that water. But genuine saving faith, as this story shows, has to be accompanied by two things. Those two things are the reality of sin and Jesus' identity as the saviour. So now things get really interesting. In verse 16, Jesus tells her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. The woman's response is to perceive that he is a prophet. And by doing so, she acknowledges true everything that he has said to her. This is such an important point for us as well, because it it presents to us the whole reason why Jesus came. Scripture knows nothing of salvation without repentance. And Jesus was going to give this woman eternal life, but he wasn't going to give it to her and allow her to just continue in her life of sin unchanged. So Jesus catches that half-truth about her husband and she affirms that that is correct. little side note. I'm not saying that exactly adopting Jesus' strategy for this part is necessarily a wise idea. At this point, I think it would be wise to remember that we're not Jesus, and so us bluntly pointing out people's sin in order to show them that they need Jesus might not be the best way to do it. Let's not forget... Kind of that as an opening conversation. But having been convicted of her sin, the woman responds by asking Jesus where she can meet with God, where she can go and and worship properly. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Remember that he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan, and they disagreed on these things. The Jews worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem. The Samaritans built a temple on Mount Gerizim, and they they both believed that that was fine. Um, But she's now questioning this. She's perceived that he is a prophet and that he's probably going to know the answer to this. And so Jesus says to the woman, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews.'" But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to skip over these verses a little bit, but, but briefly, Jesus, his answer was that physical location would soon become irrelevant, and a time was coming when people of all kinds, Jews and Samaritans, And all people would worship God in a way which reflects a heart which has been transformed by genuine salvation and lines up with the truth of Scripture. And so the woman said to him, perhaps a little bit unsure and and expecting that her answers will be answered completely one day, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will teach us all things and tell us all things. So the woman hears everything that Jesus has talked about and she expresses a longing for the promised Messiah. You know, from, from Genesis 3 to Malachi 3, there are nearly 300 promises and prophecies about the coming Messiah. And all of them were fulfilled by Jesus. And for the first time recorded in the Gospels, Jesus looks at her plainly and he just says it. That's me. Wow. Jesus chose to reveal his identity for the first time to this woman. It should amaze us that Jesus chose to reveal himself this way. He could have chosen anyone. The religious elite of Israel, the devout men in the temple, Jerusalem. Nope. Nope. The first time that the begotten son, the eternal word, the lamb that has come to take away the sin of the world has revealed his full divine identity to humankind is to this obscure, despised, immoral, Samaritan woman. And so here she is. This woman has seen the seriousness of her sin. She's been shown the identity of Jesus as her saviour. The woman now has everything that she needs in order to receive the living water from the only person in the universe who can dispense it to her. It's a wonderful story of the way that Jesus guides this woman from complete religious indifference through to seeing her sin and seeing her need for a saviour. There's two more... Things that I want to highlight from the story. The first is that God's saving love knows no boundaries. Jesus revealing himself to this woman is a wonderful picture for the way that we should engage in our evangelism. It isn't constrained by gender or race or culture or religious ideologies. How much more then should we love all people with this Transforming message of hope the gospel is intended for all the world but the second thing to remember is that sin makes us blind this woman was completely ignorant of her need for Jesus she doesn't know she needs him she doesn't know who he is and she was completely religiously indifferent but for us isn't this the vast majority of our family and friends who we're trying to reach with this message of hope? Now, occasionally there are times when people... It's, it, it's only happened to me once, but occasionally there are times when people will come up to you and say, well, you know, I actually really want to know how to be saved. And that's great. You've launched right into the conversation there. You've got an open door and you can tell them all about it. But mostly it's going to be us initiating the conversation with people who don't know that it's something that they need. And so just like we often will, Jesus needed to first present the problem and then display the solution. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The woman's reaction to Jesus strongly suggests that she went, that she underwent that conversion process. She recognised that Jesus is the Messiah, but even though this is such a wonderful story of this woman coming to, to Christ and then going and sharing that news with her town, we have to remember that the point of the story is the same as the rest of the Gospel of John. John makes clear his purpose in his Gospel in chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that in believing in him, you may have life in his name. This is John's purpose, that he would make much of Jesus. So what have we learned from Jesus? We should be people who are missions-minded. Jesus was undoubtedly guided by the Holy Spirit to take that path straight up into Samaria. But we can't deny from what we know of Jesus... That his whole attitude was one of carrying out the Father's will to seek and save the lost. And now, Jesus has given that commission to us. That everywhere we go and every one that we encounter, we are sensitive to those opportunities where we can find common ground. Where we can take the physical things that people are talking about and translate them into spiritual realities. Where we can find the needs that people have and introduce them to the one who can satisfy Their thirst. We have an incomparable gift in this life giving water. We've been commissioned to share this message with our Jerusalems and Judeas and Samarias, echoing Jesus' call to anyone who thirsts come, come and drink. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what we have sung about today and what we have read about and heard about this amazing grace. How wonderful the Father's love for us that while we were sinners, Christ came to seek and to save the lost. We pray Heavenly Father, that as we are in this month on missions, that you would help us to focus more on the kind of people who would live our lives with the mission of God in the forefront of our minds, that we would recognize opportunities and that we would be ready to proclaim the joy that comes from knowing not only that we have the life-giving water, but also that we know the giver. And so we rejoice in that and we thank you for your word Today we pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to be doers of your word for the extension of your kingdom and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.